Welcome to Idle Weekend. I'm Danielle Riendo, and I'm here with my co-host Rob Zachney to wind down another week. And this weekend, we're talking about our other selves. That is, the self that we become when we play a certain game versus, you know, kind of all the other selves. <laughs> I guess we're really kind of talking about role-playing, but also kind of the mindset that we get into when we play certain things. So Rob, I know there's a few things that you're playing this week that kind of play with that tension of like, okay, am I just playing the game as myself or am I role-playing it a certain way? Am I getting into a certain headspace? What's on your mind? Well, I think the thing that put me in mind of this is, and I and talked a little bit th- about this on uh, on Waypoint Radio uh, this week, yeah. but I'm playing this game, Expeditions Viking. Ah. And... The game, without any preamble, dumps you into a character creator. And all I know about it, all I knew about it, was that it's a it's a Viking-themed tactics game. Okay. Uh, and there's there's some exploration, and there's, like, a long campaign. And uh, apparently, like, Expedition's Conquistador was, was actually really forward-looking and exciting. And, like, Viking is probably a little more my theme, because I'm not, I'm not... I'm really curious how you make... Conquistador is heroic in this day and age, or if that game even tries. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I'm more into the whole Viking thing anyway. Um, but I'm plunged into this character creator, and the first thing I start doing is making a big beardy dude. Oh yeah. And then I'm like, okay, but what kind of like what kind of Viking is this guy gonna be? <laughs> well, he's not gonna be like your super strong frontline like tanky dude. He's more of a more of a talker, really. More of a more of a persuader. Okay, we'll just and like really quickly, I started creating this like really like brain-heavy character at the expense of like all the useful physical attributes in the game <laughs> where I'm like, do I really need to have average strength? It can be below average, right? Sure it can. I'm not going to use a sword. My silver tongue is my sword. There you go. Oh, endurance, I'm not going to be soaking a lot of damage because I'm going to talk my enemies into fighting for me or something like that. Like, I don't know what this game is going to be. Probably would have helped to know when I was creating this character. So I create this, like, really talky, really, like, empathetic, like, perceptive dude. Uh, And thank God the game, like, throws you a bone. It's like, all right, look, if you're really perceptive, that makes you good with a bow. (laughs) sure okay you had to have some combat buff yeah we kind of got rid of the dexterity function so yeah great you're 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 chat you got the gift of gab and naturally (laughs) that makes you you know freaking legolas yeah yeah anyway long story short danielle i'm starting to play this game and my character sucks (laughs) <laughs> like, like it is like, like it's going about as well as me being transplanted to like the Dark Ages, like Viking society. Yeah, would go for me. Like, wow. my my dude is just getting rocked everywhere. Everywhere he goes, like he's able to talk himself out of like, you know. One out of every three encounters, but then the other two, he's just getting completely jacked up and tossed around. Like, it is it is a disaster. And yet, I kind of want to keep... And I'm early enough in the game, I should just bail. I should just create a new dude. <laughs> but now but I'm You invested. don't want to give up on yourself. Yes. You know? Yes. And it got me wondering, like, 
Well, I mean, do you do you ever run into into this, right? Where it's like, it's an RPG. You can literally be anyone. I could be the biggest, most badass Viking there is in this game. I could totally do that. It's like a few button clicks away. And yet I'm like, no, I like my I like my thoughtful, sensitive Viking. With the <laughs> with the nice big beard. Yes. Like, do, do you ever do you ever have something like that happen? God, totally. Yeah. I I like well, I mean I have a problem with I, I kinda do the same thing in most of the games that I play. Not all, importantly, but most of the games that I play, I'm super going for like me. Like I try to in a character creator. Uh, I will often be like, all right, well, no, this haircut is closer to mine. And then this face is a little better. Okay, cool. Like in in any game that's not like, I, I don't know. I, and maybe I'll find a pattern here, but there's like a few games that I've deliberately not done this with. But like, typically I'll be like, okay, this is me. And this is how I would deal with every situation. Like I definitely did this with, with like Mass Effect. Whenever you're making like moral decisions about the world, I'm always like, Yes, I'm going to be a goody two-shoes because I'm a hero, goddammit. And then kind of go along my merry way as a super paragon and be like, yeah, I'm, I'm the, the best person in the universe, by the way. I don't know if you knew, but I'm the best person in the universe. And, you know, skipping my heels everywhere I go. Everywhere I go in space, basically. Space Picard, but wicked queer, basically. Did, did you start to feel that was a little constraining? Like... <laughs> Um, not really in that game, but when I play a game, and again, I don't really know if there's a pattern here, but like Saints Row 4, I deliberately didn't do that. Bloodborne, mm. I deliberately didn't do that. Um, I'm trying to think of others, but like there's a, there's definitely a few where I'm like, no, I'm just going for chaos, baby. Like, I'm just going, I'm just going to play this, like whatever. I don't care. I guess it, it has to do with the tone of a game and also, like, how much investment I have in that character. Like, well, no, actually, no. Because I was very invested in my Saints Row 4 character. Uh, but she didn't look anything like me. I made her, like, really, really tall and, like, super, super, like, just, like, a giant lady. Like, as big yeah. as I could possibly make her. Uh, she was a different race. Like, I, I just made her, like, just totally different. Just not me at all. But, like, the person that I wanted to run around that city as, basically. Um, maybe that's because that that's a very, like, it's a larger-than-life kind of game. Like, it supports, yeah. like, do what you want, man. But I also do that with Bloodborne, which is tonally the fucking opposite yeah, but of it's, Saints Row. <laughs> but does Bloodborne give you a way to express you, yourself, in the way that, like, a Bioware game does? I mean, not not with, like storytelling choices i mean you could certainly argue that combat is is really sort of suited to your tastes and for you it might be in particular right yeah i mean like you definitely do different builds in that sort of game you know you you definitely like buff certain stats and ignore others and use certain kinds of weapons and ignore others and you know use certain types of gear so like the gameplay definitely supports you kind of having a vision for your character but you're not like you know i mean you there are well, okay. Even with that, I guess there are actually a bunch of people that you can like go out of your way to save in that game. That is a thing you can kind of do. Um, but in in Bloodborne, I I just tried to save everyone that I could because I'm 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 nice. But you're nice like that. <laughs> I'm nice like that. But I, I that character that I made, I, her name was Avocado Wombat, by the way, uh, and was like a green avocado. Lady. Ava, avocado Wombat. Okay. 
Um, it, it was a take on Pickle Hedgehog, which was, you know, I was playing Bloodborne with Phil Kohler at uh, at Polygon. We did a right. full Let's Play. And I also played the whole game on my own, like, separate from that. And it was sort of like, oh, Pickle Hedgehog, hmm, avocado wombat. There's another green food in a funny animal. I don't know. But those are the only two examples I can really think of where I, like, went so far. Like, I... I don't think there are any games I've ever played as a male character when I could play as a female character, like, for example. Um, and even when, like, if the female character isn't super awesome, I will still always be like, no, I'm going to play as the woman. Like, no question. That's what I'm going to do. That's how I do things. Like, it's like a very, like, no, that's just it. Um, but I, I typically very much am, like, role-playing. Like, no, this is the right thing to do. And I get, like, upset. If I feel like I made the wrong choice, which is another thing, I'll be like, no, how could I? How could I do such a thing? I'm a monster. I have to reload. Uh, the very first time I played Bioshock, I, I killed the first little sister. And I kind of was like, I felt so bad about it that I the, the next like four playthroughs of that game. And yes, I've played through that game too many times. Uh, I don't think I ever killed a little sister ever again. That kind of thing. Like, I'm very like, oh, man, I find it really like. Bio, not Bio, Bioshock, I think I aborted my evil playthrough. Uh, in, in part because I was like, okay, this is basically the same game. Uh, but also because I did find it kind of hard to sit with afterwards. Yeah. Where I did not feel great about having killed the little sister. I was also not really impressed with the money I made front or the the atom it's, it's no fucking difference because then you'll get teddy bears otherwise right so it's like right know. so i was like i'm sorry but like if i'm if i'm ripping these worms out of these little girls like i expect to make it like make it rain come on give me some goddamn money for this evil yeah show I'm me doing. how seductive <laughs> evil can be yeah yeah uh but a similar a similar situation arises with um with a game like dishonored where sure every yeah. time you know, I always sort of put it down to, well, the combat mechanics are kind of make it feel like you're playing with cheats and the stealth game mm. is clearly the way you're meant to play. And that's definitely part of it. But also, I feel like the game is watching and judging me for like having left a trail of dead bodies through <laughs> the world. And yeah. like, I'll clear out a huge encounter and I've killed like eight or nine different guards and I'm sitting there. I'm like, I just killed a lot of people. Like this is like a pretty ugly mass murder uh, that I just <laughs> yeah. committed. Do I want this? Do I want this on my like video game conscience? And the, and the answer is <laughs> no. Even when I go in, even when I go in with the idea that, all right, this time I'm just going to be the badass like Corvo. That's, that's me. All right. Like I am just the avenging angel. Uh, for the Caldwin line. Here we go. Oh, but that the heart says that guard is kind to a woman. Yeah, you I can't better, do that. I better choke him out instead. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I I do find it hard to to sit with decisions that would not sit well with me. Uh, like on a personal level, I, I find that difficult. It's very hard for me to commit to an an evil an evil playthrough. Um, the Vikings thing though is a bit odd for me because in general I don't, I don't think I insert my game my, myself into well. 
that might be that might be inaccurate now that I think about some of the characters I've rolled. But I, I never thought I was someone who got too attached to like myself in an RPG identity. Like my femshep was way more of a decisive uh badass than like I would ever be comfortable being, right? Like she was yeah, way more sure. ruthless than than I would generally be. But here I'm really stuck on this idea of being the uh, conciliatory Viking in a in a tactics game. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I kind of love that. I don't know, like, it, it's... There's an aspect of this that is, because we play games for so long, I mean, not always, obviously, but, but a bigger game, right? A, a Bioware RPG, for sure. Uh, and even Bloodborne, in my example. Uh, something like Bioshock, you're you're playing it for multiple hours. You're spending more time with that character than you would with your average, you know, film character, even if you like them a lot. Yeah. There's an aspect of this that's like, I gotta... <laughs> it's almost like co-workers or something, right? Like, I gotta work with you for a while. So I, I need to like you. I need to give a shit about you or I'm not gonna have a good as good a time as I could have. Uh, that maybe I'm like really overthinking that. That's entirely possible. It's not really a conscious thought. I don't sit there and I think, well, if I had to sit, you know, work with you for, for, you know, 10 hours a day, what would I want to? I don't like consciously do that, but I think there's an aspect of it that's like that. That like, I automatically am like, all right, I'm going to want to have an affinity for a character I have to spend a lot of time with. So you better let me enjoy this character you better let me like this character game or i'm gonna i'm gonna have words with you i'm gonna be a little mad about that there's something else that comes into play a little bit and that's when i start when i start to get the sense from a game that it also has a pretty distinctive idea of who i should be Mm. in the game that can start to chafe at me a very little bit like I think I tend to play Fallout games a little more techy. Sure. Then like I'm I'm not a handy person at all. Like I would not I could not pick an a transistor out of a lineup uh no matter how old and comically oversized it is. I could not like I'd be like I don't know what I'm sorry, I don't know what that is. Um but in Fallout, I feel like there's a lot of skill sets that if I haven't push them really far. And I guess I felt this way a little bit in, in Mass Effect as well. If you haven't pushed those those diplomatic options, if you haven't pushed those utility skills pretty high, you're going to end up missing out on story, right? Like Deus yeah. Ex, I need to be a good hacker. I'm sorry, I need to max level that because there's like story nuggets inside yeah. those computers and, and safes that I need to that I need to need to get into. Um and so Sometimes it does feel like a game doesn't want me to be the 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 boring like vanilla like you know role player character you know like sure. uh, like sorry like tanks are boring don't be a tank <laughs> be be this because we, we we made something special for you you'll appreciate yeah. it and that can feel a little bit confining as well yeah I I agree I also. I don't know, I guess related to this, there are definitely sort of like aspects of my personality that I really love to express in gameplay. And 
aspects that I don't love to express in gameplay. And and I don't know what that says about me or if, I, if I'm way too navel-gazy about it, but I really love games that encourage exploration and encourage you and actually sort of reward you for looking around that little nook or cranny or, or, or kind of going that little extra mile or literally that's how I played so much of Mafia 3 was like running around the world and just looking at all the, the cool stuff. I love doing that. I just find that to be one of the most satisfying things to do in a, in a game, in a, any kind of well-made world that lets me poke around and lets me, you know, rewards me on some level for, you know, it doesn't need to be a material reward. It just has to be, it looks cool. It sounds interesting. There's something cool here. That's all it has to be. It doesn't need to be a big, you know, production around it. And for, by the same token, I, I kind of hate things that make me feel selfish. <laughs> when I'm playing a game and I have to make a decision and it makes me feel like I'm being a selfish asshole, really mm -hmm. hate that. I, I get like, upset about it in the moment like oh you're gonna make that decision all right well i guess we're just gonna go over here and starve you know like that that yeah. kind of like that sort of thing like i i'm role-playing myself to some degree and so like i i very much dislike the idea of not being altruistic <laughs> like i hate the idea of not being heroic in in a situation where you're allowed to be heroic or or the circumstances uh, are calling for <laughs> heroism basically uh so when that happens i actually get like well i get a little upset i get a little a little mad about that i'm trying to think of like a good specific example and i keep coming back to like mass effect style decisions or whatever or or, or sort of like almost feeling guilty for not doing all the side quests or something in, in a game where it's like these people sure need my help i mean i don't know how they were getting along till i <laughs> until i got here but <laughs> Which I know is just quest design. It's just video game design 101. But it's it's something that really kind of gets me. If I'm if I'm really in a game, I'm really enjoying it. I'm really playing it. Uh, I want to do all of that stuff, not because I have a, a need to be a completionist. It's more I I can't be an asshole. These people. This this guy really needs an apple. Like this guy, he really needs a baked apple. It's it's not going to take me that long. Whatever. It's going to make him so happy. These people are going to be so happy if I can just give them the apple or the picture of the whatever. Of course, I'm talking about Zelda now, but yes. Yeah, yeah, I could, I knew, like, apple, I think that's a Zelda quest. Yeah. I, I think where I'll get really sensitive is when I feel like the game is kind of going, well, you failed, taking my ball and going home. Like, Mm. something that can happen really early in, in Vikings like gives the entire opening of the game a completely different cast. I am curious what happens if I play through and just sort of eat what happens. Because uh, <laughs> like, things can go real bad and the game appears to be willing to continue. Uh, so I'm curious what that, what that line of play looks like. But it does sort of rankle where it's like, okay, clearly this was the encounter you were not supposed to be able to mess up and yet you messed it up and now like the game's going to punish you and this person's mm. going to leave your party and these other people are going to hate you and they were important to you and they were clearly important to the game and there's probably a lot of good story stuff with them, but you don't get to see it anymore because you're bad. You made a bad decision. God, Especially yeah. when it was a decision that like you literally couldn't like when it was just a blind decision in a branching narrative. So like another game I'm playing where this is coming up a little bit is this really odd uh, 
Well, it's probably not odd. It's just odd, odd to me. Uh, interactive <laughs> fiction game on Steam called The Eagle's Heir. Oh. Which is a steampunk, a rollicking steampunk adventure where you oh. are the bodyguard of Napoleon's heir in like the 1830s. And in this timeline, Napoleon won at Waterloo. And oh. now he's an old man. And the question is, who's going to take the throne? Uh, and yeah, you're the bodyguard uh, for like his illegitimate uh, son, uh, Prince Party Dude. I don't know. Prince Party Dude. I got you. Yeah. Yeah. But the problem is, like a lot of interactive fiction that I've played at least so far, it's one of those things where you'll just be, where it's like, you can do A, or B or C. It's like it's it's, it's like those choose your old adventure books, your yeah. own adventure books, right? Where it's like you can do A, B, or C, and A or C are basically like, oh, you dumbass! How could you think that would possibly work? What a pe- what sort of garbage human chooses A or C? Yeah. It was B, and I dumbass. unerringly yeah. picked the wrong ones, <laughs> and so it constantly feels like you get other characters reacting to you, where it's like, oh, okay, I guess. I guess we'll clean up yet another one of your mistakes. But I really hope you get better at this. And I'm like, <laughs> they're all just like for they're all just forking their own choices. I don't know what you want me to do. Like it starts to feel like and this was absolutely the case for a lot of those choose your own adventure books where there was a, there was a best way through. There was there was sort of the right way to play. But whenever you start to feel like that, you start to feel like you're uh, Indiana Jones in the Last Crusade crossing the invisible bridge. Oh yeah. And it's like, look, just put your foot here. Just this is where you stop. Like don't even don't even mess with this. I'm conflating two bridges in the Last Crusade. I just realized there's okay. the there's the flagstone floor where if he misspells Jehovah the uh, the stones fall away because the stones all have letters on them, and then there's the invisible bridge. Huge faux pas. Sorry. I, you know it's all right. I I was there with you. I I don't remember. I'm gonna be totally honest. I don't remember that movie nearly as well as I feel like I should. But well, Harrison Ford just grabs a Nazi lady and kisses her. Oh, is it another Harrison, Harrison Ford, Ford creepy movie? Oh man. Yeah. All right. I, I think that happens in that movie. It might be a different one. It might be different <laughs> in any other of his eighties appearances. Yeah, when he was. Yeah, great. But but yeah, so like it's like that can that it can rub me the wrong way a little bit. Where I'm trying to be like I'm trying to be the hero. I'm trying to be like the yeah. cool character that like I want to be in this world, and the game keeps being like, oh, you just suck. You're terrible at this. You think you're the hero, <laughs> and I'm like, oh, this is getting too real. Yeah, fuck. It's it's really it's really hard because I I understand how kind of I want to say childish. I, I guess simplistic it is for myself, not not for you, but like for myself, always wanting to kind of do the right thing and be the like big hero and like I understand that that's a power fantasy that speaks really directly to me because I sh- I you know. I'm not gonna lie. I sure do wish I had the power to make the world pretty fucking awesome, like and equitable and nice for all humans to live in. <laughs> like I don't. I that's no shock to anyone. That would be nice. I would like that. I think a lot of people would like that. But 
it's it's also true that like games can be a pretty good and healthy medium for your darker impulses too, right? And 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 I wonder if I should just try it sometime. I wonder if I should just play mm. a game as a fucking asshole and like see how it how it fits, kind of. You know, yeah. see if I'm just like, hey, you know what? It's fine. I can I can do nice things in my real life. I can volunteer and I can be nice. I can be nice to human beings. It's okay to be a dick to a bunch of digital people who don't exist. <laughs> like maybe maybe I should try anti Danielle role playing. Like I should I could should bizarro it up a little so bit, you know? What would be the uh what would be the point of this? Like is it a persona thing where you're like, "Hey, let me see let me see my bad self. Let me see my my dark alter ego." That yeah. I just need to get with, or is it more of a I just need to stop freighting these games with all my day to day like waking life bullshit, and just enjoy them as the fictional spaces they are, where I can do whatever the fuck I want. I mean, a little bit of both, and and like I'm I'm very afraid of my dark side, like very 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 terrified of it. You know, like it's it's something I constantly sort of. Uh, run up against when I I'm always like I'm I'm really nice am I too nice like am I gonna like all of a sudden one day wake up and be a raging asshole like because I'm too nice because I've I've let people use me as a doormat that kind of thing I'm I'm terrified I know it's not a real thing that happens but I'm terrified that that could be a reality so now I'm thinking about it and I'm like maybe maybe playing as a total dick in a game will uh you know will be the <laughs> the thing that keeps that from happening and I won't be afraid of that anymore. Is you know, games are my therapy, Rob. I'm just I'm just saying, I'm just putting it out there. Game games are my therapy. Maybe I should use an alternative form of therapy for this. Yeah. I could, I'll probably I just could... feel like a dick though. I don't know. I'll probably just feel bad about it and be like, I know they're not real, but what does it say about me that I wanted to be an asshole to this person? I, I just I killed it. I, the whole idea. I'm just throwing it's I mean done. this I mean, this is like one of the core dilemmas of a major plot in Westworld. Is is like I, I just started playing, I just started watching that that show, which is just okay, but it's kind of compelling. It's very uh, compelling. I think it's more than than just okay, but we can talk about that some other time. Yes. Yeah, but just where the dude is like, "What is with you? You come in here and you just turn into an asshole." But yeah. kind of the joke is, this person's probably an asshole in real life too. Yeah. Like the the game, the the, the there's a sadism to those interactions that whether or not they are real people it's still like there is still some sort of like moral ickiness that is that attaches itself to you there's some sort of like moral stain yeah the whole like ethics of pleasure thing of like you're consuming a thing for your pleasure but is is it what does it say about you or and and also was it like made ethically you know the whole i mean there's obviously several sides of that but the whole idea of like, okay, is if you're acting out some kind of impulse, where where else are those impulses getting out? I think something else that uh, just I'll toss this out there with the Eagles Air too. I have never felt more judged by a game <laughs> for being a white cishet dude. <laughs> uh, the Eagles Air, like a lot of, like, what's the right way to? Because fail better games aren't really like interactive. Well, they kind of are. Anyway, look, the point mm -hmm. is like like a lot of these sort of modern like 
interactive fiction adjacent games uh, are, are trying to be really inclusive, right? Sure. And they're also trying to fold that inclusivity and like those aspects of character creation organically into the game. So the Eagle's Air starts out by asking you like some questions about yourself. And then at other points in the story, it will ask further questions about like how you see yourself in the game. Like, do you consider yourself, do you, do you consider yourself a he or him or like a they? And it will sort of ask you these questions, which I totally appreciate. Yeah, that's a good thing. The Eagle's Air keeps asking them. Like, <laughs> in kind of this, but are you really? Oh, like, no. Like, repeatedly, like pretty late in, like, pretty late in the game. Oh, man. It's That's, like, it's weird. like, are you, okay. It's like, yes, you've made clear in this game that you are a young French nobleman who likes girls. That's that's who you are in this world. That's that's who um, who Robert is in the oh, world Robert. of the Eagle's Air. Uh, but then it's but then the game keeps asking stuff like, "Are you sure you don't want to do things with the prince? <laughs> don't you want to kiss him? Do you just have friend feelings for him, or do you have romantic oh feelings? God. Do you think they would be requited?" It's like oh, it's okay. like, all, like repeatedly. I sort of like, love this a little bit, just because I good. love the idea of an author like trolling you, just like they know they're like, Rob. Wouldn't wouldn't it be nice? Wouldn't, wouldn't it be nice if the, if the prince just you know just he just held hands? What would like it be like that? to like, kiss him? Just don't, don't you think he would kiss? Like I just love the idea of like your computer is just like trolling you. Like yeah, somebody no, on the other like, end is just like. <laughs> <laughs> the com- and, the some- and then somebody on the me. other end, by the way, yeah. is our friend Amanda, and that's why it's funny to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. But it's just it's. It, but the other the other part of it is that it keeps asking these questions to the point where, like, I'm starting to wonder, like, is there actually a queer romance that I'm supposed to be playing here, and I'm refusing to go yes and like because it's asking so many times, like, are you sure you don't want to get with that prince? Like you, you might, yeah, because because if, if you'd be into that, like we could probably have a plot line around that. And I'm sitting here, I'm like, well, I wasn't, but now I feel like maybe that's the thing that's supposed to happen in this game, and everything else <laughs> is the shitty playthrough. So this game is gay propaganda, Rob. Is what it is. It's trying to change your mind. It's trying to change you. <laughs> it's it's definitely <laughs> implying that my identity might be the most boring. Of all the identities possible oh. in this game. Oh. Okay, fine. It's possible. Now, I don't know. I haven't played this. It is It is possible that this is kind of a commentary on, like, heteronormativity being, like, all up in your face in a oh, lot of ways. Shit. And, like, it being, like, a... Mm. I, I, again, I have no idea. I'm I just like throwing that this out there. Just it it could be something about that, like that, like oh, seeing men and women kissing and holding hands and stuff, like oh, okay, kind of seen seen a lot of that in my life, you know, that sort of thing, and it's like nudging and commenting on that, but or like asking you to repeatedly like validate your identity and right. confirm your preferences. Right. Are you sure you're gay? That kind of thing, like it it is a thing that for sure, you know, gets yeah. asked. Like, how do you know? How do you? 
how do you know you're gay? You never tried, you know, or whatever. Like, you never tried sleeping with a woman. How do you know you're gay? Like, that is definitely a thing that idiots, uh, <laughs> sorry, uh, will, will, uh, say. So, like, it, it could be something like that where it's like, oh, flipping the script, man. That's, that's what it's like. But I have no idea. I yeah, I, I don't. I, I don't know either. <laughs> but it, it, but it is like it, it does sort of fit in this vein of like that growing fear of missing out. Mm. That like, okay, there's a lot of things that could happen in the story, but then there's the things that like the developers clearly kind of wanted to have happen. Like I've yeah. always had this feeling about Liara. I've always had this feeling that like secretly she's the one. And, like, yep. the true Mass Effect is this, like, multi-game love story between <sighs> these two characters. And if you don't do that, like, you can be happy mm-hmm. with Garrus. You can be happy. You can settle down. You can be, like, <laughs> your thorax sure is supportive or something, or something like that. <laughs> uh, but you'll your never really know thorax sure is supportive. I swear to God he says something like that. I swear to God. No, he says your waist. I'm sorry. He definitely says your waist. No, like, this is the episode title, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. But you know, but you know what I mean, though. It, it, it's like okay, you could you could do a lot of different things in this game, but there's some things, and, and I and I have this fear, I guess, because I totally used to like be a be a DM of like sure. you know different RPG campaigns, yeah. and there were yeah. absolutely times where I was like, man, I really hope they don't go to door number two. Because door number one's awesome, and I get a whole thing. Fuck, they went yeah. to door number two. All right, we'll we'll roll with it, but uh, they'll never know how good Maybe how good that campaign could have been. Door number one, just give it a little knock. Can you just kick it, kick kiss it that prince. Bit? You know, maybe you could kiss that prince. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, that's. I get that. That yeah, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. I. Uh... I'm still I'm still throwing around this idea of whether or not I should role play as a as a jackass in something at some point in my life. We'll see. So, I just don't want it to open a can of worms and then I become an evil person. Yeah. <laughs> Games like Are you sure you're not evil? Yeah. Are you sure? Are you sure maybe you're evil a little bit? Like Well, I mean, and this is I'll just bring this up super briefly, but like uh, Emily's storyline her her character everything about her in Dishonored 2 I, I remember this being a there's a really yes. interesting piece and I don't remember who wrote it and I apologize but about how she was maybe meant to be kind of evil like the way the way that uh you know the way she'll react to certain things if you if you do uh you know quote unquote evil action she'll be like yeah as opposed to like if you if you kind of play it you know uh not pacifist whatever the term is in that game when you're not really killing it yes non-lethal she won't kind of have that like taking glee in it you she know, she's doesn't not like, say much she's not like if you don't she's like she's not like wow I, i'm really proud of myself for for you know it was really hard to get through there without killing anybody uh but you know i did it it's yeah she doesn't say much at all no uh, which but, is really interesting yeah no i i did because there were things like the whole later in the game uh she'll like look at a typewriter and be like all sun I'll sign my execution orders on these or something like that. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was like, yeah, there are a whole lot of things that imply that like they created an evil Emily character that has a lot of ways to express herself. 
and they didn't for good Emily. So what yeah. then be, is implied about who the real character is? Yeah, which is that's, that's pretty interesting stuff. All right, I gotta ask because we're contractually obligated. Yep. How do you feel about how The Witcher handles these? This dilemma. Oh boy, um, I actually you- like it quite a bit. Um, yeah. I, I, there's something. Geralt is Geralt either way. Uh, and I like that there's sort of a different flavor of Geralt that you can play as. You can, you can definitely play as like a very sort of noble and honorable Geralt. You can play as like a little more of a fast and loose Geralt, but he's always, he's always the New York witcher. You know, he's always, <laughs> he's always the guy that he is. It's just, it's nice that you're able to kind of put your own little spin on it to some degree. And there, I think the writing supports that in a lot of really, really good ways and really, really interesting ways. I don't know. what What's your... What's your take on that? Yeah, I think what I like about The Witcher is that it so quickly drills into you that this is not going to be a game that always flatters your choices or like lets yes. them have the effect you want it to have. Like You can make your decision for the reasons you make it, but just like in the real world, it may not have the effect you thought it would or it may not make a difference. So then it just becomes what did the what meaning did the decision have for you? Because if you're looking for external validation of that moral stand, the game just isn't going to notice or care. Yeah. And it's really good. <laughs> I like that. I, I found it a little bit liberating. Like, it let me feel like Geralt is doing his own thing. I can influence him. But like a morally upright, paragonish Geralt isn't really surprised that the world is still fundamentally a wicked place. Like he, <laughs> yeah. Like, he's not expecting it to become a good place he's just gonna make his own decisions and if you're a badass ruthless girl mm, he's still not gonna become like a murderous sadist really right. like he's going he's the new york witcher like yeah. like you can make him as bloodthirsty as you want but fundamentally he's kind of just a guy trying to get these just looking forward to punching out yep he's just trying to get through the goddamn day and find siri Wherever yeah. the hell she is, you know? That's, that's what he's doing. I like that. I respect that. Yeah. In some ways, it, that you know, as much as I love playing the the hero, and, and, and Geralt obviously has an effect on the world larger than, like, any, you know, just some guy, really. It, it is still a video game on some level, but the world doesn't revolve around him, and that's, I think, a very important step in that way. And it doesn't, the world isn't always going to, like, reflect all your freaking choices and values back at you, which is kind of like, like, man, Shepard becomes King Solomon for literally every single problem she comes across. Like, every single damn one. Uh, To the point where it's comical, right? Like, there was, wasn't there, like, an abortion one, uh, like, in, in Mass Effect 1, like, a couple's like, should we have this baby? Should we not? Like, abortion, like... I want to say that like Shepard literally parachutes into that conversation and like <laughs> sorts it right out. Like, let me tell you, let me tell you what your morality should be here. God, yeah. But I, I don't remember that, but that seems on par with things that happen in that game for sure. They, I think they even sent it. They they even did like kind of a send up of it of it later. But oh god, it, yeah. Like, um, but with Geralt. Well, for instance, um, the werewolf quest in Witcher 3 Mm. Mm -hmm. 
you're not going to fix that situation. No. You're not putting toothpaste back in the tube. Like, it's gone bad. And the best you can do is decide how you're going to clean this mess up. But it is, but, you know, all the decisions were made by other people. You are now, you're the witcher. This is your job. You got to fix this somehow. Yep. Uh, But when you ride on, you didn't really have that larger role to play in how that played out. You make some big decisions about like the denouement of that story, but you couldn't be the hero who saves these people from themselves. That that's not that's not who you are in this world. You're never gonna be that person. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, that's really good. It's really, really good. I think that's probably a, an appropriate place for us to uh to start thinking about our weekend correspondence. Unless unless of course there's more Witcher Three thoughts no no, we always have room for those my friend yeah always (laughs) all right so we have our first letter i don't have a, a name here but that's okay doesn't mean it's not a good letter so this person writes i think danielle mentioned something about how religion was dealt with in caprica after an overlong build-up that's all right it was a earlier earlier stuff was that was taken down you know sometimes we edit for clarity and length that's okay uh, I ask, in a work like your paramedic game, how much is it just an inspiration and how much of it is a mental exercise to finish the, uh, to fix the problems you found in something? How much is just to try and answer the questions you never saw asked, or at least update the fiction? As a cishet lameo, lameo is a, is a good term, I like that. Uh, lameo, maybe? I Whatever, Lameo. Um, I read I it as Lameo. So. Lameo. I like Lameo a yeah. lot. That's it's good. It's a Lameo. And, you know, just a Lameo. You know, laid back Lameo. You know, uh, I have been trying my best to attempt some kind of representation in my writing. Well, at the same time, um, uh, I'm very, very much attempting a sort of diversity for the sake of it. I also, I don't want to attempt a sort of diversity for the sake of it. I also want to make it sound like it fits. Race is a bit uh, difficult to tackle when all the characters are different animals. Uh, so as a second question, what are the kinds of questions would you like to ask or characters you'd like to see in your games or writing? I only recently started writing about characters with my own physical disabilities. My last story had a genius ginger lady who walks with a cane, as I do, and I'm currently plotting a book about a magician with limited mobility in one hand, as I have. I don't mean to equate representation with disability, just that there are both things I do not often read about in books. And also, as a New Yorker, I don't know, but Danielle, again, you might fancy the book New York 2140 by Ken Stanley Robinson. It's about an NYC uh, that succumbs to the effects of the predicted raises in sea levels, leaving it as a sort of Venice. Keep potting. Um, Haven't you there's a lot of, shouted out some Kim Stanley Robinson yeah. stuff on this, on this pod? We have. I, I wrote about, uh, this actually relates in several ways uh, to this question even, because the game, I, I am, like this little tiny game that I'm working on right now, my little paramedic game in space, is very much based on a scene from uh, 2312, which I am currently reading again. I Well, I never got through the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a little sad. Uh, reading time is at a, at a, a premium these days. So uh, there's several books that I start and put down for a little while and then pick up again. I just picked it up again this week. So it's on my mind lately too. So it's really cool that this person wrote in uh, with that question and with that recommendation as well, because that sounds cool. And in 2312, New York is indeed uh, a sort of Venice-like 
uh, it's, it, you know, it's later on in the, in the universe or whatever. I'm not sure if it's in the same universe, uh, but same author. So some of that idea has trickled in, which is cool. Um, okay. So in terms of representation and, and sort of wanting to do it, but not wanting to, to, you know, like misrepresent people, I, I could, I can understand that. It's, it's like a good instinct. I, I would say lean into that instinct. Like, Definitely write about things you're interested in and definitely do, you know, homework <laughs> in terms of, of if you want to represent, if you want to write about something that's not inside your own life experience, which is a, a good and okay thing to do. Just make sure you're doing your due diligence, especially if it's a commercial work. I, I it certainly would hold like certain things up to pretty high standards with regards to that, you know, of, of there's a reason why people got pretty pissed off at Bioware for, for kind of um, the the scene with, with a trans woman where she gives her dead name and, and all this sort of stuff. That's just like, not really how people talk. And that was kind of a no, no. And like, you know, like it, I, I would hold that to a, a pretty high standard as opposed to like, if you're writing something, you know, for your own personal, you know, your own writing or whatever. Uh, but if you're, if you're selling it, if you're, if you're putting it out there in the world, I think you, you should do your due diligence, do your homework, you know, uh, represent things with respect for sure. And in terms of, um, and I think there's a really, really good question here too about when you're doing something creative, how much of it is that mental exercise to fix a problem or to ask a question? And like, for me, uh, a lot of it is that <laughs> so much of it is that I like the little thing I'm making definitely has like a core question where you're a person in a bad situation. Of course it's sci-fi cause you know, I'm me, but uh, you're in a really, really horrible situation. You need to make a really big life or death decision about a patient, basically. And uh, I haven't had to do that yet in in the field. I haven't had to triage between one or two people. I, you know, I live in New York City in 2017, and we have a lot of ambulances and a lot of crews. So if there's a multiple, uh, you know, traumatic incident, if there are multiple patients, we typically have enough ambulances to deal with that. I'm not saying that's always the case. There are certainly mass, what you call mass casualty incidents. And I sort of wrestle with, holy shit, what do I do in an impossible situation? Like, what would I do? And, and that's very much the sort of inspiration behind doing something. So like, I think it's incredibly useful to do that, to ask yourself what you would do in situations or what you would, how you want to solve a problem or ask a question and make that be the inspiration for something. I find it helpful. That's why I make little things. That's why I write little things. Um, it's, it's sort of a helpful thing for me to do and fun. Yeah. I think for, um, for creative stuff, like when I've, when I've, like tried my hand at some some light game design. I actually did get pretty far along designing a uh, strategic level World War One uh, card driven word game. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. Except I I realized there was something really really wrong later when I described it to somebody and they were like, "Oh, you mean like Ted Racer's Paths of Glory?" And I was like, oh. "What?" And it was a card driven strategic uh, World War One war game. Uh, gotcha. So that was that was a bit of a bummer. Uh, oh. I, I thought I had a real brainstorm, uh, but it was interesting because it wasn't. I'd been doing a ton of reading. I was excited to sort of create a game system that sort of reflected the problems and dynamics that I'd seen in my reading, and that would have been sort of cool to sort of put the uh, put the player through. As far as representation, man, this all just feels so much easier said than done oh for like, sure it's so like <laughs> first of all 
having character like having a story focusing on characters with disabilities um is a good start it's Hell it's yeah. a really underrepresented group so like actually you know that's that's probably enough of a head start that you could you you know you don't need to be a hero right <laughs> you don't need, you don't need to represent <laughs> every experience uh you are you're off to you're off to a pretty good start i think the <sighs> Gosh, there's there's a whole lot that I just yeah. don't know how you'd uh, how you do because it's different if you're heading up a collaborative creative endeavor because then yes. the answer is go and like hire and collaborate with people from those marginalized groups. Absolutely. That's that's your correct answer. But when you're working solo, I just don't know because. You also don't want to turn your minority and marginalized friends into resources for you. Yeah, like, no. Like it's it's like totally. I would I would hope that like my friends would read my stuff and call me on my bullshit, but I would feel really uncomfortable like going to a friend and being like, well, so basically, could you just create my Spanish-speaking character from, like, a New York slum or something like that. You know what I mean? Like, tell me tell me about their life. That would be, that would be shitty. Yeah, I, I, I really do think the best guidepost for this is do research. Like, just literally read a book, like, about, about somebody's life, some memoirs about somebody's life mm. who is in, in the community that you're thinking of. Like, just, just be diligent. Just, just do some homework. Don't, like, don't be shitty. Don't be shitty to like other people. Don't like assume people are gonna want. <laughs> you know, like like you're saying, like please don't turn like your whatever your your black friends, your queer friends, or or whoever into just research subjects. Just just read, read all. Yeah, lot of or stuff. like yeah, or grill them on their life experiences. Yeah, don't don't yeah. do that. That's that's not that's not great. Like <laughs> yeah, I, I, like. Yeah, that kind of research. I, I, I think it's just the more you want to delve into the inner lives of those characters, the probably the more you're getting into dangerous territory. Like, it's good to have an inclusive world, but I guess I'd be really wary of projecting or mind reading characters whose life experiences are way, way beyond my own. Yeah, that's that's more than fair. Like. And at that point, if you, if you are, you know, a commercial author or something, that's when you, that's when you fucking hire somebody and pay somebody to like work with you on something and, yeah. and, and don't like, you know, drop the ball on that kind of thing for sure. Yeah. All right. Uh, next email. Oof, this is, uh, this is, there's a lot here. Uh, lot, have, these are good ass, talk about here. good ass letters. Yeah. I like them. Dear R&D, Tom from LA writes, Dear R&D, I'm faced with an interesting challenge. My best friend of 15 years has never played a video game more complex than Bejeweled, but is curious now, at the age of 32, to see what all the fuss is about. (laughs) My friend grew up in a fairly strict religious household and as such was not exposed to a lot of pop culture when she was a kid. She has always been an avid reader, but most popular films and TV shows were unknown to her. 
Over the past decade and a half, I've taken up the task, along with our other friends, of slowly catching her up on what she missed out on. It has been an interesting process exposing her to media a lot of us take for granted and seeing her often surprising reactions as she has no preconceived notions or basis of comparison going into it. Star Wars, Next Gen DS9, and Tabletop D&D were big hits, while Jurassic Park, The Terminator, and most cartoons didn't stick. Hmm. Now she wants to try out some video games, and I'm finding it a more complex task than I thought. The goal isn't to give her a history lesson in games, but instead show her a few different games that expose her to how broad the modern definition of video games is. The extent of her current knowledge of video games is that Mario 1 where you jump on stuff, and that Halo thing where you run around and shoot stuff. (laughs) Neither of which appeal to her on a surface level. I am thinking maybe an RPG, as that would give her a good story to latch onto, but I worry that games like Witcher 3, Skyrim, or even Mass Effect might overwhelm her with all their moving parts and complex systems. Beyond finding a game that she might enjoy from an entertainment perspective, I also want to find a game that will teach her that will help teach her how to play a video game in the sense of common control schemes and the often unwritten narrative language of games. My question, Robin Danielle, is what might be some good survey course games to expose my friend to? Could it be helpful to have her co-pilot make decisions while I am the one behind the controls? Could Gone Home or Firewatch be friendly entry points? So I did this a few years ago uh, with an with a then girlfriend who never played any games, had a very negative view of games. Actually, she was a pediatrician and she was kind of like, I just think they make all my teenage boys obese. Like that was like <laughs> from yeah, from her mouth. I don't think that clearly. Uh, and I kind of put together a whole bunch of, of games that I just was like, look, this is what I really love. And here's what I like about it. And yes, Bioshock was in there. It would probably not necessarily be anymore at this point in life, but uh, that was on there as well as um, some, I believe, portions of Mass Effect. I played some of it and then like got her to places and then had her do a lot of like the story stuff and, you know, relationship building stuff and things like that. Uh, What else was even part of that? I don't even remember, but I I do think uh, to your direct question, I do think a Gone Home or Firewatch would be great friendly entry points because they will introduce your friend to sort of 3D uh, first person controls without being action oriented or sort of demanding in terms of like, oh, that thing is shooting at you. You're going to be dead in 20 seconds if you don't figure it out. And, you know, they have a pace that I think is is much friendlier to beginners. Uh, for sure. And they're also, I think, in, yeah, okay, whatever, disclaimer, we're journalists, our friends made these games, but um, I, I do think they're well-written and have interesting stories that are are worthwhile that she may be interested in. I It would also really, really help to know sort of what she's interested in genre-wise and sort of, uh, you know, thematically. It, it sounds like she's super into sci-fi, or at least, yeah. okay, she likes Star Wars and both sort of general... 90s tracks of Voyager's not on here. It's fine. I understand it's an oversight, but uh, let it let it go, Danielle. <laughs> just the war's they had over, really Rambo. Good women characters on that show. I had the best collection of women characters in a Star Trek. It's just a lot of the men were not interesting. I'm sorry. <sighs> anyway, something with along those lines thematically might be really interesting to her, and I I would expose her to a lot of different genres. I would say like here's a really cool. Uh, you know, sort of interactive storytelling experience. Like here's a, you know, here's a, your uncle that works in Nintendo. Maybe that won't work because it does rely on cultural touchstones, but you know, some, some good IF basically. Uh, 
a, a cool, you know, super personal kind of game. I would say if she's into horror at all, like maybe a kitty horror show game, you know, like those really tiny, really personal games, I think would be cool to show her. I think it'd be cool to show her, you know, sort of a, of a bigger budget game for sure and say like, oh, look, there's a lot of spectacle here and that can be a lot of fun to play with. Um, depending on her tastes, she might be more of a action style gamer or more of an RPG style gamer. You know, it's going to depend a lot on what her general tastes are in fiction. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. Gone home firewatch. Great picks because those are easy, safe games to start learning first person 3d like control schemes, which once the, once those feel like natural and organic to you opens up a hell of a lot. Yeah. Uh, to to you, um. So yeah, those those are good ones. Um. I mean, you know what else? You, Telltale games, actually, like because yeah. you are moving a three D character. I'm not in all of the scenes, but you are moving like a three D character, and I mean, it, again, depending. There's also so many different types of properties that they have that you might find like, oh, hey, you know, she enjoyed Guardians of the Galaxy. That might be a good thing for her she oh she likes zombies maybe you know walking dead would work for her yeah um sorry there was a mighty yawn there it's uh, okay it was, it was you know we're recording this a little late on a friday so yeah and i'm trying right. to cut my coffee uh well my caffeinated coffee intake yeah so i would definitely do firewatch um to start and then if that is a little too slowly paced or maybe not like interactive enough, maybe like not enough of a space that you can go explore and like, you know, forage through, uh, you know, gone home, good place, good place to go. Uh, telltale <laughs> games. Yeah. My, my only note there would be, um, they can be a little cartoony just in terms of aesthetic and, and sensibility. Oh, that's Grown true. She cartoons, wasn't into but, cartoons. Yeah. That's uh, the thing. So that, that might be worth bearing in mind that night, that 90 sci-fi thing, that next gen DS nine thing, says to me that this is someone who needs to meet Mass Effect 2. Yeah, uh, And they need to meet it yesterday. Yep. Uh, I would not do Mass Effect 1 be, just because, like, if, if you are buying what that game is selling, then it's no problem. You're going to be fine. You're going to get through it. But if you're ambivalent, it is a long ramp up to a pretty amazing end game. But, man, it's a really long ramp. Yeah. Uh, so, and so, that game is just a little broken. So if you're already not great with controls, you're already kind of you just still have your training wheels on. That might be an issue for sure. Yeah. Uh, your friend is an avid reader. Um, boy, I think Sunless Sea might. Oh, uh, that's a great pick. Yeah. Might might connect with might connect with this person. Um, in terms of. Something you can play together a little bit if you're just sort of doing that uh, that broader like genre survey. Uh, maybe a city builder Ooh, like yeah. um, City Skylines or Anno, whatever. Uh, or you can always do the classic uh, co-op Civ playthrough. Uh, yeah. You know, Civ Six, Civ Five, Civ Four. Any of those are any of those are good. Um, <laughs> I don't know, anything else that uh, that's sort of leaping off the page at you, Danielle? I mean, you know how I feel about platformers, but I know they're not always the most accessible. So something that's like more of an adventure game than a pla- Night in the Woods, something like that, might, yeah. 
Might strike. Don't be giving her that Mario stuff. She was not. Yeah, she was she, not she's, having. She's that. not interested in Mario. That's fine. But she might appreciate a totally different aesthetic take on on walking around. She like monkeys and apes. You know. Does she, she like? Does she like tropics and uh, and freezing? <laughs> does she like uh, you know monkeys that may have or apes that may have a different animal that's their first name for no good reason maybe she might like that i don't know <laughs> we are turning into uh god that Ackroyd character uh from, from snl the uh the the shitty toy ma- manufacturer yep we uh, sure i don't are. know what uh you know, it's just, it's just a bag just you know you put it on your johnny spaceman Johnny yeah. Spaceman. <laughs> uh, Speaking of Johnny Spaceman. Johnny Spaceman. Rob. Yes. I don't know if that's going to be a good segue because I have no idea if your thing is sci-fi for your weekend project, but I'm taking I'm taking that chance. I'm taking that leap. What's your weekend project? It's sort of sci-fi. Okay. Everyone's right. trapped in a uh, in a giant uh, virtual reality construct with a rogue AI. Yeah, seems that, pretty okay. sci-fi to me. Yeah, um, and the game, the the, the game, the uh, the show is Agents of Shield, Wh- which I am okay. continuing to enjoy. Right. Uh, I have finally figured out what the show is like, like what makes it tick and what makes it not. Agents of Shield has been sort of an uneven show mm-hmm. over the years, and it is occurring to me that is because increasingly, like, just sort of explicitly committed to the season format they do like limited runs of a storyline much the way that like comics themselves will do like a run where all the issues all the characters are swept up in a larger event yeah and that can be a good or a bad thing as as marvel are currently discovering with (laughs) with the with with the Mm. uh with with the fascist cul-de-sac that uh that the captain america is is currently stuck in uh, courtesy of Nick Spencer, uh, I want to say, uh, who thought the direction to go with that was that he's a crypto Nazi. Uh, oh, okay. so that's that's cool. Well, uh, if, but if, by the way, if anyone has a defense of that plotline uh, and like that, it's actually getting a bad rap online. I'm keen to hear it. Like maybe it's awesome, and there's a really cool thing being a point being made here. I haven't read it, uh, but all I see online is this dude getting pilloried, and he seems like kind of a. Uh, Kind of tone deaf to where that criticism is coming from and why this movie wasn't a great direction for, for that character. But anyway, so it can be a good or a bad thing. And when it's bad, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. can also be trapped in bad plot lines. Uh, and that's happened. That happens probably one out of every three major plot lines they, they launch turns into a bit of a dud. One of them's pretty decent. And then the third is awesome. We just got done with kind of a dud plot line that was. God, I can barely even tell you what it was. Uh, the, <laughs> That's the never a good season. sign. Like, yeah, the the first part of the season was. Oh, it was Ghost Rider. Um, I did like Ghost Rider. Uh, he was a cool. So was, maybe, cool, was it one of the decent ones or? A, a he, it, it was decent, but okay. it, it it was it was decent, but it was a little slow paced and didn't. I don't know. It just decent it, it, with some dud dusted on top. Yeah, but like. now, right. but now. Ooh. We're in the Agents of Hydra plotline where all the major characters have been abducted by this rogue AI, Uh-oh. plugged into this giant VR, 
And by the way, Danielle, yeah. would you be surprised if I told you oh. that if you die in the virtual reality machine, <gasps> you die in real life? Oh my God. Yeah. No, right? <laughs> but. Wow. The cool thing is, it is this entirely like bizarro world where a lot of characters who've like been dead for the course of the series, like for parts of the series, are now alive again because in the virtual reality they're they're back, and everything's sort of turned upside down. Shield has become like Hydra, and uh, all the good guys are now working for the bad guys. But the entire show has become explicit, uh, re- like this show's reality now is like rooted in how you felt November 9th. Oh, wow. Um, like, there's explicit stuff, like, they're trying to, <laughs> like, they're, they're trying to baffle us, with, baffle us with alternative facts, but we can't let their lies uh, throw us off from the truth. There are more of us than them. Wow. Uh, there's a point where a child is, like, asking one of the major characters, like, they said that, they said that Hydra aren't Nazis. And he's like, is that is that true? And the, the character's like, they were all, they're all Nazis. Yeah. All of them. And so it's like kind of this really therapeutic plot line of like all these characters just kind of kicking ass and waking the people up to the nightmare uh, horror show that their reality has become under this, uh, this sort of crypto-fascist administration uh, in, in, in this universe. And I'm not going to lie, it's pretty pandering. Sure. Occasionally, I'm willing to be pandered to. And uh, it's, been, it's been going down pretty smooth. And it is, so I would say this is one of their, their, their home run uh, plot lines. I don't think anything's going to touch. They had a really magical run from the end of their first season pretty much through, I think, all their second season was, was pretty golden. But this has probably been the best sh- the show has been since then. Uh, and... It is really taking advantage of the fact that it's, for whatever reason, freer to go in some darker places uh, and get a little more explicitly political than the show's ever been. And that's enjoyable. Awesome. Yeah, that sounds really cool. I have never watched it. And the only, like, when I hear the word Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., I just think of what's-his-face from the first uh, Avengers movie, the guy. Well, it's all about him. Okay. So it is about him. All right. Well, yeah. then I'm not completely wrong. I, I was worried that that was one of those where I associated a, a, a franchise or show or whatever with like completely the wrong, no, you know, like no. Clark, random thing. All right. Clark Gregg, I think. Okay. Uh, is, is, is there also, because you know, he used to be in a lot of like David Mamet movies. Yeah. I am like 95% sure that there have been a couple shout outs to that past life of his. Like there's oh, a point great. where uh, he makes a big deal about his bona fides. And I am like, I want to say there was a big thing about that in the Val Kilmer uh, movie Spartan directed by mm. David Mamet. Uh, it was interesting. Anyway, point is fun times. Uh, fun times. If, if you get into that show, you'll enjoy where the season is gone. All right. That sounds pretty rad. I just started Orphan Black, but I'm not going to talk about it much because I just have only seen one episode. Yeah. But I think I'm going to like where it goes. So instead, my weekend project, this is going to be one of those where I say like, oh, I started a thing and it's cool, but we'll talk about it later. And then, you know, 10 years later, maybe we'll talk about it. But my uh, my weekend project is actually another podcast. 
Uh, and it's another gaming-related podcast. So I don't know if it's like a real bad, 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 but it's it's a totally different in focus from ours. Uh, it can't be and it's, Waypoint Radio. You no, can't do that on the show. It's uh, Wayfair. Damn it. Um, TV. We're going to figure it out. They're going to figure yeah. it out, Danielle. <laughs> there's this podcast. I don't know. There's this guy, Austin. He's real smart. There's this guy, Patrick. He's a really amazing reporter. And like I just I I listen to it all the time. Like I don't know why. And you were there, and you were there, and you were there, and you were all there. Well, there is no place like Kansas, uh, but I'll tell you about a place called the Dialogue Box, which is the Ooh, My Weekend Project. I like that it name. Is, it is a really awesome podcast. It's with Gwen Frey. You may know Gwen. I don't know if you know Gwen, but yeah, I do. Okay, awesome. It's it's her podcast with uh, Chris Slight. He's from Devolver. And so it's basically, uh, she's like a technical animator. She has a lot of experience uh, in the industry. And she is a really funny person. She's like really fun to listen to. Uh, and he, I don't, I don't know of his work as well as I knew Gwen's work, but he's also, uh, Chris is also very funny and personable. And they talk about stuff in the game industry and, and sort of Often, you know, a, a lot of folks listen to the Mass Effect animation Palooza a few, like a month ago or so, where, mm-hmm. where uh, Gwen had been yeah. in a uh, uh, Gama Sutra sort of news roundup about, oh, what could have potentially been the issue with the animation in this game, because that was a whole thing. Uh, and it was like a really intelligent and fun and easy to listen to, like, breakdown of like, hey, you know, here's what shit is like at a AAA studio. I don't know their process, but I can give you an educated guess, and this is what it's like, and here's what it's really like to work on these kinds of games. Um, And that was just sort of one episode. I've listened to several others, and I love it. It's just like a really fun, easy listen that's also like, hey, I learned a damn thing about the game industry today. It feels like a really good conversation that you have with with a developer friend at GDC. Like you're sitting down to lunch, and you just went to a talk or something about I, I don't know, uh, the way they did the procedural art in No Man's Sky. This is just a random talk I went to once. And, like, sitting down with somebody who knows what they're fucking talking about, and, like, they're just, like, riffing on that. Like, oh, hey, you know, we took this and we took that, and there's, you know, kind of how we made this. I love that sort of stuff. I really love stories about how things are made. Uh, and in this format, which is, like, really conversational and, like, chill and very fun... Uh, and very like friendly and, and like charismatic uh, is especially fun for me. Like I, I believe me, I love a good deep dive documentary. I love to know how everything is made. But I also, when I'm just sort of uh, chilling out and just kind of want a little bit of that, this is perfect for that. So that is the Dialogue Box podcast. It is. It has. They they pretty much update like every week or so, or, or sometimes like every other week. Uh, you know. That sort of thing. They're both they're both busy. I understand. You know, we're all busy people, and uh, when you get a good sometimes thing, sometimes you just, miss a week. Sometimes you miss a week. Sometimes I don't. You, you know, publish light. sometimes you publish a little a little bit late. Sometimes you know, I don't know who who does such a thing, uh, but that happens. Uh, but yeah, highly highly recommended. Uh, just really really cool people talking about interesting things that they actually know about, and that makes me happy. I like that. I sure I sure like it when people know what they're talking about. That. Beats the alternative. It, it does, you know? Uh, and if you really want uh, expert opinions on everything, you should listen to Idle Weekend. <laughs> we know all of the stuff. We got it all figured out. You know, we at least 
can uh, can idle your weekend. You know, if nothing else, we can do that for you. Uh, so I think with that, on that beautiful note, it's time for us to head out and enjoy our weekends. This episode of Idle Weekend was produced by yours truly and is hosted on the Idle Thumbs Network. You can learn more about Idle Weekend at idleweekend.net and send us questions for our weekend correspondence at questions at idleweekend.net. To keep up with the latest from us, follow us on Twitter at Idle Weekend. And if you, if you have the hankering to do so, we would really appreciate it if you would tell your friends, tell your pets, tell your buddy who has a cool podcast that we have a cool podcast. Tell them about Idle Weekend. It really helps us out quite a bit, and we really do appreciate it. And if you could take a second to just go ahead and, and go to iTunes and write us a little review and, you know, tell them Danielle sent you. No, you don't have to tell them Danielle sent you. But if you did that, that's also super helpful, and we really, really do appreciate it. And we just generally appreciate you coming here and spending some time with us. So for Rob Zachney, this is Danielle Riendo, wishing you the finest of Idle Weekends. <laughs>